The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are you doing, Patria? I'm doing really well. We've yeah. had a really snowy weekend here, so it was full of fat biking, seeing people that I really enjoy riding bikes with, and it was it was very, very nice. How about, <laughs> nice. how was your weekend? Uh, you know, low key, did some riding, yes, uh, avoided some rain, uh, tried to avoid some puddles. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know what, though? I'm mm. wearing short socks. Oh, my goodness. And <laughs> <laughs> how how is the world taking to you and your short socks these well, days? Nobody has seen it because I've got jeans on my mm. my tan lines. Let me just say my tan line. Oh, my gosh. It's it is hideous but i've got jeans on so nobody can see yeah yeah there you go <laughs> but it's president's day <laughs> at least you have day. a tan line yes yeah, well yeah <laughs> yeah it's president's day and you know it got me to thinking about like what president's day was for me for like uh, 10 years uh hmm. living in la and road racing and uh, there was always this uh, early season uh, series, a trio of races that Bob Leibold and Velo Promo would put on. So there would be the Pine Flat Road Race on Saturday, which was uh, 100K-ish, a little bit longer. Wow, and, that's long. You know, like mm, 4,000-ish feet of climbing. Goodness. It ends with two climbs. Yeah. You, you wow. climb out of the Central Valley back into the Sierra. Uh, so there's a long climb with a short descent and then a final 1K climb up to the finish. And that race just wonderfully brutal. Uh, I think I think most of the years that I did it, it rained. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> early season with rain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's California racing in the early season. And then there would be mm. the Dinuba crit, which I did, I think, most years, but not all. Um, and then there would be the Cantua Creek road race on president's day. And that was another one where an awful lot of the time it was like rainy and wet and, you know, you had run off from these farm fields. So you're riding through brown water. Uh, <laughs> I got home one year and like went inside to eat lunch with a friend and went back out to the car. You know, it's like 75 and sunny in the South Bay. And we opened the car and it smelled like a cow had died inside the car. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my that goodness. Was, that was road awful. bikes. That wasn't gravel yeah? bikes, not mountain right, bikes. Right. That was road bikes. <laughs> You're and not it supposed was to have like, this kind of dirt in the bike. Oh, yeah. So we rolled the windows down and left the hatch open and <laughs> then went and washed the bikes. But I seriously, like, I, you know, even though I don't really miss what it took to be fit enough to do those races, I kind of miss that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. That's a <laughs> neat way. To, I mean, early season, you haven't seen people in a while. Good chance to get out. And then testing your fitness. Yeah. It, it really puts all that training in perspective mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and breaking up the, the winter, which is basically all training from whenever you had quit doing anything the previous season. So, yeah, that sounds like a really nice thing to do. And would those events have been happening this year had it not been for COVID? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those are ongoing events. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, they were, they were, the Villa promo stuff is, uh, I don't want to say notorious, but well-known, um, <laughs> certainly mm-hmm. has a reputation for being small in the prize list department. You know, like sure. I've, I, I got a t-shirt for sixth place once. Um, and you know, love that t-shirt. It's the art is bad. It's, you know, it looks like it was done on somebody's home printer. Uh, but you know, great, it, difficult race that I think about, you know, yeah, the tax were going off, just, just flying and brutal wind and wet and raw and, you know, in a breakaway for like three hours, I want to say three out of five hours or oh, something. Wow. Or maybe it was four and a half. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, just, just brutal and shattered at the end and, mm-hmm. you know, nothing left. Uh, right. But it feels so good to get out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're you're conjuring up memories of early season racing for me and how fun that was to suffer. I, mm-hmm. I don't I, mm-hmm. I, again, a lot of it is just putting it on the road, taking it from the trainer, from training and and just going at it. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. It, uh, that's that's definitely a, a good feeling. Um, and then, of course, in California, it comes so much earlier because yeah. when I raced, it was in Colorado and I feel like our earliest season races were in March mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we would always have a notorious hill climb in April. And I remember there being snow on the side of the roads oh, on this hill climb. So mm-hmm. of course you get to the top and you're frozen. You really hope that somebody brought a jacket for you <laughs> to wear at the top. Right. But yeah. Right. So for you guys, they're much earlier season than, than what I would ever experience. Like February, we're just mm-hmm. still doing base miles in February. Like oh, not yeah. even, you know, there's no intervals yet in February. Oh, yeah, I mean, there are often when when life is normal and races are happening like normal, there's often something the last weekend of January. Uh, wow. And now with gravel events, you know, the, the final uh, the, the first grasshopper of the season mm-hmm. has very often been the last weekend in January. Uh, yeah. So that. Yeah. So much earlier than anything I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a wake up after moving from New England, where the first weekend of racing was last weekend of March. Yeah, well, <laughs> what the? <laughs> yeah, different, completely different world out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, I tell you, when I was riding up these big climbs on the fat bike yesterday, I I was just thinking, wow, I never worked this hard on a trainer, and I definitely like it would take a race to work this hard. Oh going up gosh. these big climbs. So I'm, I'm thinking about that as you're talking about your crazy racing and, and, you know, your one kilometer finish. I'm thinking about climbing up this huge hill yesterday on the snow. Uh, and so 200 that's, that's yards is going to feel like a kilometer and a half. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the mind changes it to something completely different. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's time. I always tell people, you know, don't measure miles. Measure yeah. time. You know, when yeah. you count your week, your body absolutely. understands time. It doesn't understand distance. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. So true. 
Yeah. Well, I'm sorry those events are not happening. Obviously, if they were this year, you would not be racing them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it goes. Uh, well, at some right. point, I you know, I actually know a lot of people who've been vaccinated at this point, even have gotten their second uh, shot. And so, you know, we, we're making progress. Uh, that is encouraging. I haven't gotten any yes. shots. Uh, you know, it'll come, right? Right, right. Exactly. The same here. Of course, I haven't had a shot yet. Um, and I know of quite a few people in the healthcare industry who have gotten both shots. Yeah. So that's, it's great. Like the ride that I did yesterday, I was riding two out of 10 people were fully vaccinated. That's a good start. It, uh, it is. It's not definitely. nearly enough, but it's a good start. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, what is your pull for us this week? Well, this week, um, two things inspired my poll for this week. One is I heard from one of our listeners who lives in Australia. It's she purchased some 45 North boots for me, <laughs> um, but she was telling me how it's 95 degrees and beautiful in Australia, though they still have some chilly days and some rainy days. Uh, so that took my mind to New Zealand. Mm. So I wanted to with with the weather, it's oh, there's not a lot of sun here. Obviously, it's raining there. I think a lot of people in the country right now are in the middle of sort of the winter blues, potentially. It's a good time to think about travel. And and this is just a story to take you somewhere really lovely. So this is New Zealand. My very first gravel ride for the most part. Um, so my husband and I did uh, this trip in April of 2014. So this is seven years ago. And we took our new Evergreens at the time. Mm-hmm. So these are new bikes to us. This is the first time to have 40 millimeter tires on a bike, for instance. Um, and both bikes were S&S coupled for, so that they could be packed into a small case to travel with, which when you're going to New Zealand is uh, nice to not have huge traveling cases. Yeah. <laughs> so and then April in New Zealand is... It's it's late summer, early fall there mm-hmm. coming from New England here. Oh, my goodness. You know that this is a really good time to get out of the cold. You're just feeling the cold at this point. It, spring is always it, spring is the hardest season for me here where it's rainy, cold. <laughs> yeah. it just it, it's the type of cold. They like get you New right England into the doesn't bone. have spring. OK, let's just get that on the record. OK, <laughs> you've got 45 and rain for five right. weeks one week of 76 and sunny, and then suddenly it's 91 and humid. <laughs> I think the climate's changed a little since you lived here. <laughs> but, Prove it. <laughs> but there's <laughs> there's definitely some 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 threads of that that I've experienced in the last 10 years here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, at that, that time of year, it's just is really nice to get away to somewhere warm. So the end of the summer in New Zealand is a really nice time to be there. So, like I was saying, right before the trip, just two weeks prior to the trip, we both got our new bikes um, and then we packed them for the very first time for this trip and headed over. New Zealand is a long is a long flight from here. Like from here, we have to travel to San Francisco. We had some flight delays. And then from there, I believe it was a 12 hour flight to Auckland, which is where we landed. Mm-hmm. And then it's a four hour drive south. So we, we went to the North Island. And I think it's important to 
draw this distinction between the South Island and the North Island. The South Island is what people see in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. It's much more dramatic. The North Island doesn't have that kind of dramatic landscape, though the landscapes are phenomenally beautiful. And to me, up to, I mean, it's some of the most beautiful landscapes I've ever seen. I've traveled now quite a few different places, definitely uh-huh. traveled with a bike in a lot of different places, which are very beautiful. But it's still amongst the best place in the world to find the variety of landscapes, the, the different seeming completely different topography and and plant life. It's just everything. It just seems like it's more concentrated there. You don't have to go more than two hours in any direction. And you're in an area that feels completely different than where you just were. Neat. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a really beautiful place. So we landed in in Auckland and then drove south. We stayed in Topo. It's just mm-hmm. a very nice place. It's very central. So it's easy to get to other parts of the North Island from there. And having uh, renting a minivan was very helpful. It's easy to take the bikes in and out. Um, and of course, we drove the bikes everywhere we went. So it was just nice to have all of that space. Remember, traveling to New Zealand means you're on the other side of the road. So it was it's challenging. You have to be really on uh, when you travel to a place where you're driving on the other side of the road than what you're used to. Yeah. So it was important as a backseat driver. That was my role to (laughs) make sure that that like making a left hand turn. I mean, right or left hand turn are both challenging in the car. On the bikes, I found it to be a lot easier to ride on the other side of the road. But it's it's when you're in a car, it's just it's so so much more difficult because you're in the middle of traffic and having to make these quick knee jerk, you know, changes in traffic, which you're just so used to. But you have to do the opposite of what you're used to anyway. um, So that's that's important to uh, just keep in mind. But it was otherwise there's not that many people there. There aren't that many cars there. Just very, very little traffic in general where it comes to being a bike rider. You you have the roads to yourself for the most part. Mm-hmm. And Taupo itself is a small town, so it has a small population. Sure, if we were riding in the middle of Auckland, it probably would have been a bit busier. But uh, it, it doesn't take much to get to a small town and to very out of the way places. So this, New Zealand is a cycling wonderland. There's something about New Zealand that you just feel it in the airport. And everywhere you go there, it, the whole country is just very concentrated around being outside and outdoor mm-hmm. activities. Mm-hmm. And you see flyers everywhere for crazy sports. When, when I say crazy sports, I'm talking like cliff diving and you know taking helicopters to places where they drop you off and then you go do things. Um, lots and <laughs> lots and lots of extreme sports mm-hmm. are done there, but it just seems like that's part of the culture. In New Zealand, that that's just normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would caution too to, uh, to to be careful if you get a guidebook written by a New Zealander, they might say, "Oh yes, this trail is good for moderate, like uh, you know, a moderately good cyclist." <laughs> and then you find out you're dangling over the side of a mountain precariously, hoping to goodness you don't lose your footing. And uh, there there was only one one evening, one ride that we ended up in a in an area that was really precarious and i'm 
really glad to say we lived through it. I hope my parents aren't listening to this. Um, <laughs> so, but otherwise, otherwise, and I don't want to focus on that because it's it's absolutely wonderful. They put so much money into their infrastructure for trails. Mm. The trails there were the, I mean, I, wanna, I don't want to call it a bike path, but it's where you ride your bike. But it's dirt. It's really nicely manicured dirt trails that just went on and on for hours and hours and hours. And we would get on these trails and just ride and mm-hmm. ride and ride and ride. It, we would be out there all day. We And then, of course, because it was in the fall, they had, the time actually changed when we were there. So it was confusing enough with jet lag and everything. And then the time changed. And then it was like then the sun set an hour earlier at that point because it was fall. Mm. Um, so so that was a little disorienting, but it was great. We took lights and just rode into the night. Mm-hmm. It was it was just so beautiful. It was enchanted. It's the type of foresty lands you ride through that you feel like you should see fairies in the trees. <laughs> Very nice. Really, yeah. you know, really wild that. And then the, one of the things I like most about New Zealand, because I tend to be a scaredy cat in lots of different ways. Um, I'm, and and it, I should say, too, I'm not a technical I'm not that technical a cyclist now. I was definitely not a technical cyclist when I went there, considering I was two weeks into having this new bike. Prior to that, I rode dirt some, but more on 33 millimeter tires. And I was it was just new at it coming mm-hmm. from a roadie background where all I'd ever done was road paved roads before that. But there are no animals that will kill you. There are no plants that will kill you in New Zealand, to oh, my handy knowledge. Thing. Un- unlike Australia, where everything unlike. wants you dead. Exactly. So <laughs> it seems like there was some at, at some point there was a split and all the nice animals and plants go to New Zealand and and everything else ended up in Australia. Um, so that's something that was very comforting to me to feel like I, f- I feel like I'm in an area where snakes should be tra- uh, should be dangling from trees. But, you know, they're not <laughs> going to be. Instead, there should be fairies in these trees. Because it's just beautiful. A lot of places, uh-huh. the fog would sit on the trees and the, the, the various landscapes. Incredible. We saw lots of sunsets over bodies of water. And then there were other times when you're buried in the trees. No, no sunset, no body of water. But you feel like you're you're crawling or carving your way through oh, caverns of trees. Mm. And then the next thing you know, you come around a corner and there's a huge waterfall thousand foot waterfall oh wow and and then gushing water um there oh goodness just lots and lots of water features Mm -hmm. of of various magnitudes give me some idea like how much elevation change would you see in the in a day not like how much climbing but like in terms of elevation what was where what was the low spot for a day and what was the high spot for a day how how dramatic are we talking I feel like it's on the order of a thousand to two thousand feet. Okay. Nothing, nothing crazy climbing. There's certainly lots of up and down, um, and obviously bigger or smaller depending on on where you're at. But, but enough to uh, create visual drama. Exactly right. Like, right. Like thousand foot of, waterfalls, for instance. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that's what was neat because you come around a corner, and then there you go. The landscape will just drop out, and then you see this amazing water view that gives you that view where a lot of times it's hard to get that view if you're just buried in the trees. 
And you didn't have to like climb up to the top of any crazy big mountain. So there was a lot of climbing, but not like that. It didn't test. I didn't feel like it tested my fitness to any mm-hmm. crazy place. And I didn't go in exceptionally fit or anything like that. Um, and of course, it's it's a little easy just to be tired from all the travel and everything going in. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to build in some time. Uh, one thing you want to do if you ever get to New Zealand is to take more than eight days. We only had eight days. It's really hard in the bike business to get away for any period of time. And April, of course, is a difficult time because it's yeah. spring. Yeah, that's when, trick. <laughs> right. That's when we need to be at the shops and working hard to to do all the things that spring entails in New England. But eight days was infinitely better than none. I, I'm so thankful, <laughs> mm-hmm. so thankful for that trip. So it laid it laid the foundation for many other future trips, like how to travel, how to pack the bike, what to take. Uh, I took two sets of tires. I didn't need two sets of tires. I needed one, just the 40 millimeter tires. And ever since then, anytime I've traveled, I just take the one 40 millimeter set of tires. It's good for the road. And there's plenty of paved road, too. And then it, it takes you to all the all the dirt and everywhere else you want to go. Um, so there's a lot of ways of simplifying things that it, certainly you learn in that sort of uh, circumstance where obviously it's nice to pack as, as light as you can, but being a first time, you take extra tools, extra everything, not knowing where the next bike shop will be, which we were able to find bike shops in Topo. That wasn't a big deal. We could find CO2 cartridges because of course, that's something you never travel with. You have to buy that in a local shop yeah. when you show yeah. up and we found ourselves needing to buy sunscreen because, well, we didn't need sunscreen all winter. And of course, why would we think about bringing sunscreen? And then the first town we went to from like, as we were driving from the airport down to Topo, we stopped in, I believe it was the Raglan. That's a seaside, a surf town. Mm-hmm. And it felt all California. I think you would probably feel comfortable in this place. Everyone's walking around with a surfboard on their shoulder. They're wearing flip flops. They're wearing shorts. Everyone has a nice tan. And there we are. We're wearing <laughs> winter clothes from New England. Beacons and- of white. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I wish I had my flip flops. This I-, I feel like I'm just completely out 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 of uh, out of New England um, here. But it just had had a really nice beachy feel to it. So that that was a really neat way of starting. And then that was just a nice place to, to assemble the bikes on the green grass in the, in the heat of the sun. It, it, it was just a, a really nice place to travel. It was a neat place to experience gravel. It, it was I, I feel like you could take the family who all enjoyed various things about being outside mm-hmm. and everyone could be very happy and in a place like new zealand and it's it just got that very low-key vibe it's easy to eat well very easy to eat well Mm. every meal i ate i enjoyed very much with the exception of the gas station meals (laughs) (laughs) let me explain um why why would we ever eat gas station food in new zealand that's crazy i'm a cyclist you don't have to explain that to me (laughs) We would we would ride until it was too late. And then because we were out in the middle of nowhere, it takes a little time to get back to tack to town. And meals ended early. My memory was if you weren't eating dinner by eight, 
you were not eating dinner. It's not like Europe where you can mm-hmm. eat pretty late and, and be fine. That was not an option. So we often overshot dinner by way of riding too late, which was a, <laughs> a small price to pay considering how good the riding was late at night and not feeling nervous about it. I mean, yeah, maybe it's something we should have been nervous about because you shouldn't be out late at night in a country you don't know. And I'm not sure who you call if you have, if you need help. Um, Ghostbusters? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Sorry. Bad Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but having, having that, just being able to ride until whenever it felt like vacation. And that was obviously something that everybody could use something kind of you really shut off from the world you have to Mm -hmm, when you're two mm -hmm. three days away i don't even know what the date was when we were there i kept a blog i'm gonna put the uh, the link to the blog in the show notes along with a bunch of pictures so you can see what i'm talking about so in a lot of ways it's the words don't help it's the the images that can really show you what i'm what i'm talking about but it was yeah, where are you? And you can't be in touch with the rest of the world. I mean, we blogged while we were there because we wanted to remember where we were and capture the pictures and the stories and all that good stuff. But yeah, you're just, you are truly forced to enjoy nature for what Mm -hmm. it is. If that's what people do there, that is their lifestyle. And you get to be fully immersed in that. So Mm. that was really, really Nice. And now that I talk about it, we've talked about going back. We'd love to go back. Uh, of course, there's the rest of the world to see. There's so many amazing places to ride. That's the difficult part because we know we didn't see a fraction of the country. And of course, South Island is calling because mm-hmm. there's a lot of really great riding, a lot of cool stuff to see in the South Island. So, so yes, where's the next trip? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows right now, of course, with given the situation and everything in the world with COVID and all that, we still are not thinking about traveling yet. And so when that when that comes back, it's going to be interesting to see where next place it is that we go. But it might be clear across the world because you might as well do it like make up for lost time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, Question. So, okay, so you guys had. uh, a, a minivan uh, for when you needed to be in a vehicle. Did you spend all your time in that one town and then drive out and do loops? Or did you move from town to town some? What was your format? Uh, we we stayed in one hotel in Tahoe. Okay. And then uh-huh. we just went each day from there. This is pre us becoming bike packers. So if we were to go back, <laughs> I'm certain we wouldn't do it this way. It was really nice for that, for only having <laughs> eight days. It just made things, logistics much simpler. And we only had to carry stuff with us to for so that we would survive a complete day that we wouldn't have to make camp and all those other logistical things that could be pretty challenging, especially the distance that we traveled to get there. So, yeah. So now I'm sure if we were to do it, we would incorporate more bikepacking. We'd probably do some point to point stuff. But Mm -hmm. yeah, having having the vehicle and being able to travel from one place is is really nice. In a future show, I'll, I'll tell about our trip to the Yorkshire Dales in the UK. And we did a bikepacking leg of that trip to um, the Isle of Man. So what we Mm. did with that trip was we stayed in an inn in a tiny little town 
in the Yorkshire Dales, did some day rides from there and then did a bikepacking trip with two or three days in a tent on the Island Man. So that was a nice way of doing both in one nice trip. And it still wasn't that many days away. It wasn't that huge of a trip, but it was it was an element of all those things that we enjoy. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that gives me an idea for something else I should address at some point, which is, hmm. yeah, a format, different formats for planning uh, a trip, because I have done rather a lot of that uh, sure. what with my experience with some tour companies. Mm, right. And that's a nice way of doing it, too. And that's actually a really good way of doing it on the other side of COVID, because one, we want to keep tour companies in business yeah. and they are hurting badly right now. So choosing a trip, then it's easy. Logistically, you let someone else do the logistics on organizing mm-hmm. everything. All you have to do is show up to day one. And that's that is significantly easier than trying to figure this stuff out yourself, like trying to come up with routes and all that. I, I would definitely prefer to trust a tour company unless you're yeah. the type of person who likes to put roots together. And some people like to do that. My husband loves putting roots together. Something he just, <laughs> he, he enjoys it very much. It's, it's a big part of the adventure and the trip to follow the roots that he's put together. So yeah, it depends on how you like to travel, but yes, I would definitely recommend that doing a tour yeah. company. Very cool. Alrighty. We're going to take a short break and then we will be right back. The pace line is brought to you by the cycling independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for my poll. Patria, I don't know about you, but I have a bunch of friends who have been vaccinated Some just once, but a few who have received both of their injections. The thing is about this, I know a lot of people who, just as you've referenced, uh, are really jonesing to travel. They're they're starting to dream about trips and where to go. And are they going to do something domestically before, you know, the world is fully back up to speed? Or are they going to wait and then fly to Europe? Uh, So, Interestingly, I've actually been getting questions from friends about travel cases. Uh, three different friends have contacted me in the last four days. Oh. Uh, so there there must be something, if not in the water, then in the air. Right. <laughs> People are starting to dream. Uh, and that's a that's a lovely thing because we've been largely without dreams for a while now. It's so, true. I feel the same thing. Yeah. I figured I'd tackle cases today. Um, now. <laughs> I will say I'm a credible source on this, not because I write about cycling, though that has certainly contributed, but because I don't often travel without a bike. And I've tried, I think, most all the different approaches that are out there, actually. Um, and I, I'm i going to guess that some of what I have to say coming up is going to surprise some people. Uh, 
naturally, the number one question I get from people is hard case or soft? And this would be the first opportunity for surprise. Uh, Soft. Absolutely. I'm a fan of soft cases. You would think that a hard case would do a better job of protecting your bike, right? Wrong. Uh, You got to look at this through the eyes of a baggage handler. Something large and boxy with lots of squared off edges and right angles and stuff and hard just begs to have stuff stacked on top of it. They don't have a lot of room to work in, so they want to get the big things in first and then work in the other stuff around that. So your carbon fiber beauty can end up with 2000 pounds of suitcases on top of it. If the case is soft, it's not a good thing to stack stuff on top of. Also, stuff that's less boxy, more round, fewer right angles, very good, very helpful. Absolutely agree. I get that yeah. question all the time. And and <laughs> the, the the inquisitive looks when I say the exact same thing. Soft, yeah. soft yeah. all day long. And it's funny because early on in my tenure at Bicycle Guide, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, mm, you, you know, take take a soft case whenever you can. And we were sent some big hard case to use, you know, on, for staff trips and whatnot. And the very first trip where I used that, enough stuff got stacked on top of it that the uh, replaceable rear derailleur hanger got bent. It was aluminum. I was able to bend it back into shape, but because it was aluminum. Uh-oh. It broke. About no, it didn't break, but about every hour. I had to bend it back a little bit because just the the tug of the cable pull would cause it to, you know, so yeah, eventually I had to replace it, but I managed to get through that trip. That's amazing. But yeah. 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 Fun to have to deal with that. (laughs) When I bought my own uh, first case, uh, I bought a bike pro case, uh, which is both soft and roundish. In my case, I bought their double wide. So you could actually fit two bikes in there. And that thing, in terms of reduced uh, cost for flying, it paid for itself in something like six trips, uh, which was pretty dynamite. And because it was big and soft and kind of difficult to manage, it was always the last thing to go in. Um, And that really served us well. I never had anything in that case get damaged. Uh, I had some people pull stuff out of the case. Um, Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) You know, uh, carbon fiber bikes, uh, bikes with replaceable derailleur hangers. None of that was was ever a problem with that case. I used Um, that same case when I used to travel to uh, national level races with my very light carbon fiber road bike. I also had the exact same experience. It was great. Never had a problem. And uh, I traveled to one race where the team mechanic said, I will only ever use this case <laughs> for <laughs> that reason, for the, the soft cases are so much, so much more protective. So, yes, yeah. this is where I learned originally from that case. You know, for some years, who knows now, but for some years, the U.S. national team was sponsored by Bike Pro. And so every rider on the team had his own Bike Pro case. Uh, And one of the handy things about that is they all get packed the same. So the team mechanics knew exactly what to do in terms of popping the the bike out and getting it assembled. That was one of the other things that case. uh, It 
you really didn't have to disassemble that much. Um, and so that was a, a handy thing. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I vaguely res, uh, toy boat. I vaguely regret selling that. Um, but you know, once you make the switch to SNS, which is my next point, it starts to seem like a little silly. Um, let me let me add though that uh, you know people are probably wondering: really, is a hard case that much of a problem? Every single hard case I've ever used, including one SNS case, has been damaged at some point. Uh, latches have been knocked off. Uh, Corners have been crunched. Uh, the the metal trim that allows them to to uh, sit together, the the kind of mm-hmm. teeth and thing. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. But with the way they fit together, I've had that damage so that they didn't close properly anymore. Uh, it, I've had handles ripped off. I mean, if you can imagine it being damaged, um, I've seen a hard case take it. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm really not a fan. It's worth adding at this point with the hard case that when TSA agents try to close the case after opening it, because they open every almost every one of these cases, your bike has shifted around in there, and then they go to close it. And what I've seen is they will slam it closed, which damages your bike. Or they slam it closed and it doesn't latch because, as you're saying, like it's hard for the case to come back together again. So they'll leave it open. And I've had a few people come to me after they've had this happen, saying that their bike was open both directions on one trip, for instance, for this one mm-hmm. particular person. Uh, so stuff was falling out of the case because it was I saw open. a case taped up because they couldn't figure out what to do. Yeah, well, that was nice they- of them. Really? That's better than a lot of what I've heard. Yeah. 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 And that that actually becomes another selling point for soft case, because very often you can kind of just squish stuff together and get the the zipper to close. Uh, It's not the best way, but, you know, you won't get there and find out your pedals are gone. Right. Exactly. Uh, So if you're going to be flying somewhat regularly with your bike uh, and by that, I mean, like, uh, you know, traveling for business as well as pleasure, uh, and you want to have a bike with you, I'm going to recommend a little more expensive route. Um, for those of you who have an old frame hanging in the garage or a bike that doesn't get ridden much anymore, particularly one made from steel or titanium, take that thing and send it off to a builder who does repairs and retrofits like Belenke or Steve Rex and get SNS couplers installed. And then drop the dough on the SNS case. Um, I know people are going to think, oh, that's awfully extreme. That's really expensive. Uh, but really, it makes more sense than most folks will think. What I can attest to is that while the cash outlay up front is more significant than just buying some case, having a bike in an SNS case, which is roughly 30 inches square and doesn't qualify as oversize, the ease of travel with it is significant. So first, because the case is not oversized, you don't pay the big fees. My case often flies for free. The most I have ever paid was with Hawaiian Airlines, and I paid $35 because they charge for every single bag, period, no matter what. That's just how that airline goes. And I needed to fly from Oahu to Maui uh, to climb Haleakala. And Um, you would have paid that same amount if you had an extra duffel. 
that's yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. a duffel or it's a bike. It's it's all yeah. the same in that case. Yeah, anything that I couldn't carry on, I was going to get charged for. Mm-hmm. Um, the airline I've found is also much less likely to lose the bike when it's in an SNS case. Oversized stuff is routinely delayed because of the lack of space, and then they forget about it and it gets lost for two days. Um, I calculated that when I had my my first SNS bike, I had my old Seven Cycles Axiom retrofitted retrofitted with couplers. That what I spent on couplers, labor, and case paid for itself in four round trips at $180 per flight. Boom. It took care of itself. So ever after, I was saving money. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing about flying with an SNS coupled bike is it simplifies what rental car you can use. You don't need an SUV uh, or minivan. Uh, I've rented compact cars when it was just me. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that alone, that's a savings of like $20 or more per day. At least if, and if you're overseas, finding a regular size SUV taxi can be impossible. (laughs) It it can be the difference between getting to your hotel that day or not. It's a very big difference. Walking six blocks to the nearest train station. I've never done that. (laughs) Right. Well, for in my case, when I travel home to visit my parents, they can both Uh come pick me up in their regular sedan. And all three of us are sitting in the car and the bike's there with my other luggage. And that means the world to be able to see both of them at the same time when I fly into the airport. So little things like that. Like you can't put a price on these things. No. No, well, you, you can in some cases. <laughs> Race. True. Um, uh, okay. So uh, now, um, you know, getting around, uh, there's also the issue of airport and shuttle buses. The smaller case is infinitely easier to handle inside the airport. You know, you're not, you're not blocking people. There's all sorts of little issues that way, just in terms of ease of moving around. But I've actually had shuttle drivers look at me and a big case and just shake their head no and say, nope, that you're going to have to wait for the next shuttle. Um, that became a really issue to the point of galling. When I lived in L.A. and I often flew on United, not always, but it happened a lot. United was the last terminal in the big U-shaped concourse of LAX, which is to say that every time the parking shuttle got to United, it was pretty well full. Uh, I once had three shuttles look at me and go, uh-uh, you're not getting on with that. Uh, Stood there for 45 minutes, an hour, you know, just going, come on, help me out. Um, that was, you know, I get that not many airports are going to have that sort of problem, but really it was, it was an issue. Um, there are lots of cases out there um, other than just getting that bike pro or having a bike uh, retrofitted with SNS couplers. Uh, one that I've got a lot of experience with recently is from Thule. Um, I like it. One of the neat things about it is that the, uh, the frame that holds the bike in place inside the case comes out and there are little legs that you can put into it so that it becomes your assembly stand. It's, it is not a bad thing. It's pretty handy. Um, but, I have seen both the carrier and a bike inside that damaged uh, in flying. So it's uh, it's a good solution, but not my all time favorite. 
One of the other approaches of this uh, to this is buying a whole bike uh, like a travel bike. Bike Friday is one of a few different manufacturers who make folding bikes. I reviewed a Bike Friday back in 96 or 97, somewhere in there. Um, there's relative to what I know is the easiest of the solutions out there. Putting a Bike Friday together takes about 10 minutes. It's crazy quick. Uh, the 20-inch wheels, though, that's part of what makes this thing such an, an easy solution because it fits in a normal, uh, I think it's an American tourist or suitcase. 20-inch uh, wheels, they take some getting used to uh, because they don't uh, generate, I forget, is it the centripetal force or centrifugal force? Um, I think it's centripetal. Uh, gyroscopic effect. They don't generate that the way a 700C wheel would. And so getting on a bike Friday from your normal road bike feels a little bit like moving from a tandem to a crit bike in terms of the change of handling. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's not stable in the same sort of way you get used to it. You learn how to kind of calm your body down after a while, but Every time I got back on that thing, the first 10 miles or so was like, whoa, um, yeah, uh, a, a little, a little disconcerting at first, but the bike Friday is absolutely proof that any bike is better than no bike. Certainly. Um, yeah. And I can say that, you know, uh, that a bike Friday takes all the pleasure of an S and S case and squares it. Uh, or cubes it. I'm not sure which it's uh, it's just that much easier to get around with that thing. Uh, it's, it's very impressive, but you know, 20 inch tires, 20 inch tubes. If you run into any problems uh, and you haven't brought a sufficient number of extra tubes with you or tires, um, life can get difficult. I saw a guy on uh, a trip I was guiding in the Alps once he brought a bike Friday and he was, he was flatting multiple times each day because the descents were so long that he was heating the rims up so much Yikes. because there was so much less surface area because they were only 20 inches in diameter. You know, he would descend a little ways and then pull over and stop and let the rims cool. Oof. Descend a little ways, you know? Yeah. And so it was, um, What's the term for it? Suboptimal. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, one other little trip for travelers, uh, tip for travelers, uh, go to a hardware store and buy some foam pipe insulation and cut it to length for each of the tubes. Um, something else you can do is like take little labels and remind yourself top tube, down yes. tube, um, that really does an awful lot in terms of helping to protect the bike. I've also gotten uh, Velcro straps so that the, uh, the foam pipe insulation can't be knocked off if the case is handled roughly. Um, Good points. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, man, the stuff I've seen over the years, bikes that were flattened to the point like you couldn't get a, a wheel back into the stays Ugh. or into the fork because it was just flattened. Um, and I know people who've decided just uh, that's it. I'm not even going to try to travel with the bike. It remains my favorite way to see a new destination to explore. Uh, and so I am a big proponent of traveling with a bike and like everybody else out there in podcast land, I suspect uh, I'm busy dreaming about what my next, next 
non-driving destination is uh, with a bike. Yeah. But I do have to get, (laughs) I have to get my bike replaced because it was stolen last spring. That you do. And then get on the next plane out of town. I, it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know where, but it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be good. And it's nice to be preparing for it right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, dreaming about a destination, it does give us something to do. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I, I think it helps alleviate some of that stir crazy of having been stuck at home so long. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of, a lot of research that you can do a lot and then you can make your vacation that much better when you get to your destination. But yes, I agree. This is a really good time of year to be doing that sort of thing. And if it helps your mental state, it helps you get on the trainer, it helps you get out on a cold ride. Even better. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. to look forward to. <laughs> For sure. Alrighty, what do you say? Paceline picks? Well, yes. Isn't this appropriate? Well, I chose this completely without knowing what you were going to be talking about today. My pick <laughs> is the co-motion co-pilot case for travel. Oh. Isn't that interesting? I love it. I love uh, it when we're on the exact yeah. same page and <laughs> on two totally different coasts. Uh, and I chose this, obviously, because uh, my evergreen that I took to New Zealand was SNS coupled. And that was mm-hmm. the first time I had ever traveled with a coupled bike. And I didn't totally appreciate how useful having a coupled bike was going to be until I had one. Since I've had it, I've traveled to so many places. And this co-motion co-pilot case is has been the key to making it easy. And a lot of times when I travel, my husband and I, considering we have really busy lives, often I will go to the destination or if I'm visiting my family who live in Colorado, I'll go first. I'll take the bikes myself. So that means I'm carrying my suitcase and whatever it is that I need to take clothing wise and every all the equipment for riding your bike when you're out of when you're away from home, plus Mm -hmm. the bikes. So the case has wheels on it. It's got a great handle that comes out of the case. It makes it so easy to carry around. And I can put a suitcase on top of the, the, the bike itself, like on that case. So it takes one hand and I can literally carry the bike and a, a suitcase together. And then mm-hmm. on my shoulder or back, I can have a backpack. On my other hand, I can have another suitcase. So I can take a whole bike or even two. Um, and in this case, sometimes I've taken both of our bikes and we also have an SNS couple tandem, which we've traveled with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that simply is two co-pilot cases. In fact, there's room left over. If you're traveling with a tandem in two of these cases, there's enough room left over that I've been able to use the extra space for all of the clothes that I needed. So I didn't need to have an extra suitcase. So I would just take my backpack <laughs> yep. And and then make sure, of course, you have your clothes in uh, a cloth bag or something where your clothes aren't going to end up getting greasy from the bike or dirty, because after you've traveled with the bike, it's typically dirty and there's never enough time to get it perfectly clean before making your return journey home. So I had plenty of room in there for all the things that I needed. And you're well under the weight limit because the commotion case is not that heavy. That's another big benefit to not having a hard case. Because hard mm-hmm. cases are, are heavy. So you are already constricting the space that you have and the weight limit, which is 50 pounds. So that's tough. You're, I mean, you're getting really close yeah. to that weight limit just between the weight of the bike, no matter how light your bike is. That, that adds up fairly quickly with the weight of the case. 
So this uh, that co-pilot case has made so much possible. And to to the whole point of traveling, we've and not having space or wanting to be picked up by a, a cab in another country. We took our travel tandem to Warsaw. Ooh. We went to see the World Track Championships a couple, two, two, three years ago now. Is it now? It's probably only two years ago. Um, it was a wonderful town to tandem ride in because it's fairly flat. So that's how we saw the city and got around was on the tandem. But it was so easy to pack ourselves and that bike in the tiniest little cabs. Those cabs there mm-hmm. are all small. And it would have been really, really hard to find a, a vehicle large enough to carry two of us, all of our suitcases and two bike cases that it, it wouldn't have happened. I don't know what what we would have done. So it's really allowed a lot to a lot to happen. And for that matter, I will say, because I mean, obviously, your opinion about travel with cases is it goes a long ways because you've seen everything. I've seen quite a lot. I work with a lot of people who've traveled in every different way. And I see all of the the stories of people coming back after having a bike ruined because TSA decided to to throw it under an elephant or something. Uh, Co-Motion, I've spoken with them, too, about cases and what they recommend. Uh, and I believe they used to offer a hard case and they stopped offering it because they saw so much more damage with the hard case. They, <laughs> they put a lot, yeah. all of their weight and, and everything behind their soft-sided co-pilot case because yeah. they believe in it so much. And obviously everything ends up going back to them because it's their case. So if you have something happen, they're going to hear about it. So, um, so I really appreciate that they have had really good experiences stand behind their case and they make a great case. Like the zipper is really strong. It's very well reinforced and at $395 for the case, it's very inexpensive. I think that's a tremendous value for what that case is. Given what you can drop on a case. Yeah, I agree. It's a good value. Uh, this is the soft case I've got for <clears throat> when I do own an S and S coupled bike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, the, the case wasn't stolen. I still have it. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> right. And the case is probably right. still good. Um, yeah. Uh, the, it looks uh, from the photos on their site, it looks like it's undergone a little bit of a redesign since I got mine. Uh, there are more zipper, zippered pockets now uh, and a little bit more re- reinforcing on some of the corners. Right. I, you know, so yeah, it looks like an even nicer case today than when I got mine, but man, yeah, I'm such a fan of that product. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the folks at Comotion. I don't know if they do any retrofits, but they build with S&S couplers more than an awful lot of manufacturers. I would imagine uh, Seven and, and Comotion are two of the most frequently, uh, uh, two of the, uh, two of the builders that do use them most often. Yep. Yeah. Based on what I've seen anyway. I'm thinking you're right. Based on, yeah, anecdotal who's riding uh, coupled bikes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I've got my my tandem from Comotion has S&S mm-hmm. couplers. Yeah. I haven't flown with it yet. That's, you know, it's on my list. It's surprisingly simple. And we're doing a, a parts change on our tandem so that we're going to the ETAP uh, access wireless. Oh, nice. Parts. It, our previous uh-huh. tandem had DI2 in it. Getting rid of those extra wires is going to be pretty cool to not have that. Uh, so very straightforward, cut and dried. It was already not hard. It was pretty easy for me to mm-hmm. deal with myself. Uh, and yeah, a lot of tandem couples enjoy having the 
coupled bike. Because otherwise, are you going to put a tandem in a case and get it anywhere? <laughs> oh, That's, it's very tough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Flying with a standard tandem is is a nightmare of epic proportions. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I've, renting I've a tandem <laughs> is really hard and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's a really good bike to have have coupled. Yeah. And I think it's a lot simpler. You only have one wheel per bag. So it's just having all that extra space makes it that much easier to pack. Very much. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh, I'm going to deviate from the travel stuff uh, from my pick. Uh, I'm picking uh, something that I reviewed just last week. The Shimano Diori XT wheel set. So this is a mountain bike wheel set. Um, like I said, I just reviewed these wheels for the cycling independent and I'm making them my pick here because I'm just so thoroughly impressed with them. It's kind of hard to get excited about wheels unless they're like, you know, fancy aerodynamic ones or something, but these, uh, well, they have their own charms. (laughs) So they use an asymmetric rim that allows for a dishless wheel, which means that the relationship of the spokes to the hub and the rim is that of an equilateral triangle so that the spokes are tensioned evenly uh, between the drive side and the non-drive side. That builds a much stronger wheel. Um, It also features Shimano's relatively new silent free hub, which is as frictionless a free hub as I've ever encountered. Um, The big thing about these wheels Uh, And you'll notice that I'm not going full chapter and verse about they've got 28 spokes and, you know, uh, what the hub spacing is, because they're actually available in multiple configurations or seven degree engagement. Here's the thing. It's a bomb proof wheel set that rides really well and only goes for four hundred and twenty nine dollars. That's an exceptional price. That's for sure. There's so much stuff out there that no longer comes in under a thousand dollars. I expected these when I first started riding them, you know, they're Diori XT. It, this is not inexpensive stuff as right. Shimano goes. I figured these were going to be like 800 bucks. I was just assuming that when I got the rest of the information from Shimano about them, that it was going to be solid money, not crazy money, but solid money. And when I got the email saying, no, they're only $429. Yeah, I, you know, jaw clattered to floor. Uh, I've ridden these wheels really hard. Uh, They're on a short travel bike. So every now and then I kind of run out of a little bit of travel. Um, (laughs) You're used to having so much more travel. uh, Yeah. Well, when you, you, yeah, when you, when you move from an Ibis Ripmo, that's 160, 145 uh, to uh, a pivot that's 120, 100, yeah, sometimes you might overestimate what the bike can do. Uh, generally, that's not a problem. But every now and then I go a little bigger than maybe I ought to. Uh, so, yeah, I've been re- riding these uh, wheels on what is essentially a cross-country bike. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've run I've run pressure low enough to ping the rim a couple times on rocks. Um and I pulled them off and put them back on a truing stand to check them out. They haven't moved at all. Uh, Super. I like these so much. I would buy a second set of them just to have as a backup. And then the $64,000 question is, are they available? Uh, that's probably of some, uh, some difficulty, I'll yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, at that price point, that's... Yeah, 
I, I, it's, yeah, it that sounds just made challenging it even harder to me. To, yeah, <laughs> Anything Shimano right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. We'll keep our um, eyes out for that. They'll, you know, they will be available fully again at some point. But yeah, folks might have to look around a little bit uh, if they really want to find them right away. But it's it's certainly worth keeping them in mind. Uh, it's yeah, I couldn't tell you the last time a, a wheel set impressed me this t- this much in terms of value um, and and reliability. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for the yeah. recommendation. Sure thing. Uh, so do you guys still have snow there? Oh, Are do you we be- have snow? We <laughs> have piles of snow. And what's neat is right now it's still pretty. It's not the dirty. Oh my gosh. It's oh, been laying yeah. around all winter snow. It's, <laughs> Black it's snow. Yeah. Looks fresh. And oh. we're expected to get another seven inches or something on Thursday. Oh. So it's just, it's been awesome. And everybody who likes winter riding, snow riding, everybody's so happy. It's 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 really cool. It's it's really neat because now, like starting Tuesday or maybe even today, everyone's starting to plot for what are we doing this weekend? Where are we going to go? What new place are we going to ride? Checking out the snowmobile trails, which have been amazing. Uh, Definitely a huge plug for snowmobile trails. And if you ride them, make sure to donate to the snowmobilers because they're doing great stuff. And they were all Mm. so nice this weekend. Everyone we saw was great. It was a communal experience. So yes, we're getting more snow and and we are all just sitting on the edge of our seats, just excited for where we, where are we going to ride next? And this is stuff that we can't ride the rest of the year. These are, these are different places. So yes. So we're looking forward to that. I hope you have some neat stuff coming up. Uh, It's been raining some here. It was supposed to be raining today. It started raining yesterday. It was raining this morning. The sun is now out. Uh, It's going to be road bike for a little bit. I don't want to tear up trails. Uh, so I, I think most of this week will be road bike. If I get lucky, then maybe I'll be back on the trails this coming weekend. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I know to be a patient boy. It's that time of year. We need the rain. We need the rain. Right. Celebrate (laughs) it when it comes and you'll have plenty of non rainy days. Yeah. So, uh, I know not to complain. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, we'll look forward to hearing about it next week. Yeah. All righty, everybody. Keep those questions coming. You're sending great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Paceline.